So I want to start with a verse in Deuteronomy. And the verse asks a question, it starts with a statement, I think that would make us, you know, wake up if we were in the, uh, if we were listening to a lecture and we hear a verse or we hear a verse in the Torah, like this is a verse that kind of wakes us up. And the verse says, just the introduction of the verse is, uh, this is Deuteronomy chapter 10, what does Hashem, your God, want from you? That's how it starts off. What does the Almighty want from us? And you know, the Torah is very complex, and there's a lot of mitzvahs, and there's a lot of things to remember, and, 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 then, and then finally it's all going to be synthesized and, you know, uh, crystallized. And like, what does the Almighty really want from us? And then it goes on to list, well, to fear God, and to love God, and to do all mitzvahs. It gives a really long list, which is a question on its own. If you're starting, uh, if you're starting to, uh, to try to crystallize the Torah, and then you give a whole long laundry list that seems very difficult, it doesn't seem to be uh, congruent with the preamble of the verse. Either way, the Talmud, the Talmud explains this verse in, a, in, a, in a kind of a, in a totally different light. And it says, what does the Almighty want from us? And it gives the answer, to make a hundred blessings a day. And in fact, the word, ma Hashem al what does the Almighty want from us? The word ma is very similar to the word mea, which means a hundred. You count the letters in the verse, there's a hundred letters in the verse. This is what the Almighty wants from us, to make a hundred blessings a day. Uh, and, you know, the obvious questions are, um, I think some of the questions are like, hey, you know, what is the Almighty want from us? There's 613 mitzvahs, and there's a whole Torah, and we have the whole Talmud, we have to study, we have to be good people, if they have charity, we have to, you know, we have to uh, uh, put tefillin on and Shabbat and Pesach and Matzah. There's so many things. A hundred blessings? That's the solution? You know, that, that's a good question, no, Bernie? You know, they, uh, you know, that's one question. Another question is like a hundred blessings a day. Like, how much is someone eating, right? You know, how, how do you get a hundred blessings in one day? You know, I think it'll be, you know, it's 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 hard for us to imagine how we're going to make a hundred blessings in a single day, and ev- every single day. It's not like we could say, you know, one day I'll do hundred blessings and then I can go back to my life. It's a hundred blessings a day. And in fact, if you look at the halacha, you look at the the Jewish code of law, it says. Every Jew has to say a hundred blessings a day. Maimonides says, oh, every Jew, everyone brings us, bring this down. This is real. This is practical. How do you say a hundred blessings a day? Is that realistic? Yeah. Oh, okay, well, we'll see. How's that? Because you bless everything all day long. It's yeah, so... Gratitude. It's not something that relates to eating. No, 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 not necessarily. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it can relate to So eating. actually, Maimonides tells us when he does the mathematics, he says, if you do the math of just the prayers and all the blessings that are incorporated into the prayers, uh, just that gives you about 86 blessings a day. So then all you need to do is have one bread meal and you have to make the after blessings and before blessings, use the restroom a couple times, blessings for that, and you're good to go. Um, Right, so that's uh, that's more of a well, that, well, that wouldn't qualify under the strict. We'll see exactly how, how, how blessings are categorized because there's certain uh, requirements that overlap with every blessing. Every blessing has a certain uh, um, 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 text that is uniform amongst all blessings. And indeed, you're right that blessings don't need to be in Hebrew necessarily. 
um, the blessings can be said in any language, but they have to follow a certain standards, a certain a uniform text that applies to all verses, no matter what language you say it in. So it's not just that, oh, what a wonderful day. That's not, that's not, that wouldn't fall under the category. We'll see exactly. That's right. All blessings share those. You could say, yeah, exactly. You could say that in English as well. That's right. Uh, now, blessings in general, uh, there's a good question. You know, we, we talk about the Almighty and we say the Almighty lacks nothing. Uh, yet we read and it says, oh, the, the Almighty wants to make a hundred blessings a day where we say, blessed are you, Hashem, our Lord, the master of the world, master of the universe, king of the world. Are we, does the Almighty need us like to, you know, to, to stroke his ego? You know, we, we believe that the Almighty lacks nothing. If the Almighty lacks nothing, well, how, what's this dynamic where man kind of uh, assesses God's dominance and superiority and dominion, you know, it, it's, 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 it, you know, what's that dynamic? Um, I'm sorry? Okay, we'll see more about that. Uh, and I think an, another question, and I think this is, you know, maybe a, a side question, not so central, but we know that we make blessings on all foods. And if you look at the experience of, of eating something, you have a sizzling steak or a fresh glass of water or a cup of coffee or whatever it is, we were to, um, if we were to assess that situation, that is a, a, a physical uh, encounter with the world, right? You're hungry, you eat. You know, you're thirsty, you drink. Uh, you know, you want to, you make, you make dinner and you eat it. Suddenly, we are invoking God, and it seems very bizarre. Like it's not, it's not. Why, why is this? All humans need to eat, right? Even animals need to eat. So why is that a spiritual experience? Uh, that should be, you know, that, that, that's a uniform experience for, all, for everyone. Why suddenly is, does that become a moment for, for ritual, so to speak? That suddenly we're, we're invoking God now. Like prayer, I understand. You study Torah, it's God's Torah. You know, you do a mitzvah, it's a, it's a mitzvah. But eating is something that everyone does. Everyone does that. Animals do it as well. Everything needs sustenance, right? What's the idea of specifically at a time where we're doing something that we don't need to do necessarily as a Jew, we do as a human? Why is that the place to, uh, to kind of uh, inject religion? It, you know, it seems to be that they're separate realms, they're separate dimensions. Uh, so these are some questions um, just to get started in the discussion of, of blessings. Um, now, when we actually look at the book, I read to the book here that gives us a list of all the blessings, not all of them, most of them. There's a lot of blessings out there. Um, turns out that blessings really, um, um, like, like Janet says, they really accompany us throughout our day and throughout our lives. Uh, we have blessings before we eat anything. And by the way, we have blessings for after we eat anything, provided we eat a certain sufficient amount. So you drink a glass of water, there's a blessing that is designed for uh, the, the post-facto of this experience. Uh, we have blessings before we do mitzvahs. You know, when you shake a lulav, or when you sit in the sukkah, or when you eat matzah, there's a blessing for eating matzah. And there's a blessing for affixing a mezuzah. It's a special mezuzah affixing blessing. Uh, study Torah. Right? Torah is the mitzvah that we do all day, right? That's the, you know, the, the goal of the Jew is to try to study as much Torah as, as we can. 
And there's a mitzvah, for, there's a blessing for that. There's even blessings for experiences, physical experiences that are not food, like even fragrances. Did you know that? There's blessings that we say for fragrances. You smell certain, I'm sorry? Like the Havdalah, exactly. Havdalah, you know, during the Havdalah ceremony, there's the, uh, the blessing that we say and the fragrances. Uh, and these things, these things, these things seem to be disparate. Like uh, we have bl- blessings for mitzvahs and blessings for food and blessings for fragrances, blessings for going to the bathroom, like another experience that kind of we all share, but doesn't seem to be a spiritual. There's a blessing for hearing good news, really wonderful news, and also really bad news. You know, God, God, you know, God forbid, if someone loses a parent, there's a blessing that we say. Um, during the burial, right after the burial uh, ceremony, uh, it's the, the, it's called Dayan Haimet. Right? That God is the, the, the righteous, you know, we accept God's justice. Ironically, or incidentally, let's say someone's dad died, but left them an enormous inheritance. So something really terrible happened, but something really good happened as well. Isn't that right? Obviously, it's, it's, it's a weird time to celebrate, but according to Jewish law, if someone's parent dies and leaves them an inheritance, they have to make two blessings. One of them for the disastrous news, and one of them for the wonderful news. Now, obviously it's hard for us in the moment to isolate the benefit of an inheritance, uh, you know, the wonderful benefit of that. It's, it's hard to, you know, to disassociate that from the tragedy of losing a parent, but clearly, the idea here is that every positive experience has to be noted. And that, obviously, is something very different than going to the bathroom. Well, maybe it's also a positive experience. Um, maybe a child obviously, it's tragedy. But Oh, yeah. So it is a tragedy. And, and, and that's what's interesting about that. That even in the uh, despair of tragedy... If something really good happens to someone, they have to note it, which is, I think is a very interesting idea. Uh, not only that, uh, when someone witnesses natural phenomena, like a, this past Friday night, I don't know if it was what was going on up over here, but we had some crazy storms. Um, and in the middle of the night, I'm like, I, I see through my window, this crazy lightning and thunder. It's nuts. I don't know, was, was that over here as well? I slept through it. You didn't have any. We had tornado warnings. Oh. Three in the morning. Oh, yes. From three to five, every 30 minutes, the alarm going off. So what, what, and I, in the middle of the night, on Friday night, I woke up, and I just happened to have my daughter in my bed. That was a disaster, to move her to her bed. I don't know, like, it's, she's like 30 pounds. You know, she's in the 20th percentile, but somehow... She's able to push me further and further and further <laughs> towards the abyss. <laughs> That's a natural phenomenon. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I had to take her. Then I see the lightning and thunder, so I stop and I make the blessings. There's, ble- there's blessings that we make when we experience the natural phenomena of, of lightning, of thunder, of seeing a rainbow. There's a whole list over here. Seeing a rainbow, seeing like an ocean for the first time in 30 days. Seeing... Well, yeah, but it's... So what's the blessing for the rainbow? 
a zocher habrit that God remembers the brit, the covenant, and fulfills his pledge and keeps his word. So we're essentially evoking uh, the pledge that he made to Noah to not destroy the world. And kind of when we see the rainbow, that's an affirmation of that, of that pledge. True, and that's a wonderful thing, you know. Uh, not only that, there's blessings that we make uh, when we see outstanding scholars, right? Uh, regardless of whether or not they're scholars in Jewish subjects or in secular subjects, uh, if you see like even especially beautiful person, animal, or plant, uh, a head of state or a king, place where miracles have like there's blessings for everything. You know? Yeah, so medications, so when someone consumes medications, they don't make a blessing. Because it's not food. I know, but for asking the Lord to make this order. Yeah, so there are blessings that are, that, 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 that there are daily blessings for that. You know, part of the, well, we would say that blessing at least three times a day. Like in the Rafainu uh, uh, section of the Amidah, there's a blessing for, um, yes, yeah, so, but and even if you look at the, at the blessing that we say after using the restroom, the blessing ends that God heals all flesh. So yes, we, 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 we very much uh, focus on, on that as a theme uh, throughout our blessings. But either way, if someone had a perception uh, that blessings were an isolated aspect of Jewish life, clearly we see that it, 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 you know, it, is, it is a very, it, you know, it's very broad. And it covers many different experiences and aspects of our lives. And it made sense that we could reach 100 uh, with such a figure. You know, the, the morning prayers, not the morning prayers, the, the, the Amidah service. Uh, the Hebrew name for the Amidah, I know what's the Hebrew name for the, one of the Hebrew names for the Amidah service? Huh? Well, Amidah is, is one of the names, but it's also called Shemona Esrei, which is 18. But it's actually 19, exactly. Because the, the blessings, uh, the, that, that um, canonization of the blessings from the times of Ezra was always 18. And then 500 years later, they added another blessing, uh, actually as a way to combat um, Judeo-Christians. Because Judeo-Christians was a big problem in the first century of the Common Era because there were people that were Jews and ostensibly were Jews and looked like Jews, mainly Jews and prayed Jews and kept kosher and Shabbos and everything, but secretly were Christians. And it was, it was still one religion. And as a way to kind of force people to choose their allegiances, they added this prayer, which essentially went after these people. And then they would say, hey, this guy is suspected. We don't know. Let's, let's have him lead the services. Let's see what he says. And that would kind of choose, force people to make choices, like which, you know, you cannot be both. That's not a possibility. Uh, it started off like that, of course, uh, and now, now for sure it's two uh, completely exclusive religions, but it started off as being a faction of Judaism, and this blessing uh, was established to, uh, to, uh, to kind of force the, uh, the, um, uh, the splitting into two distinct religions. Vilam al-Shinim, and to the heretics, that's right. Vilam al-Shinim al Right. So what do you bless in the blessing? Oh, so the, you know, the, it says the there should be no hope for the heretics, right? And all different kinds of heresy should be eradicated from the land. What do we do now? This is 
Messianic Jews and Jews for Jesus. Are they Jews? Are they Christians? Listen, if someone's Jewish, Jewish. there's nothing they could do to make them not Jewish. <laughs> well, you're, that's the Holocaust thing. Well, not, not, not just the not just. No, I'm saying even the Talmud says even if someone does someone sinned, no matter how many times they sinned, they're still they're still Jewish, and that's why, by the way, one of the reasons why um, the uh, the halachic requirements of vetting converts is so severe, because we have to be sure when someone converts to Judaism that they're really sincere, you know, that they're not just jumping on the bandwagon, and why? Because let's say they become Jewish. They're Jewish. There's nothing you can do to undo that. And now what if they decide, oh, this is not for me. This was a passing phase. That's very dangerous, right? Because you have Jews now living as non-Jews. Um, but, you know, someone can be baptized a thousand times. They, they may get wet, but they're still Jewish. Nothing you could do to, uh, um, to actually, you know, to not be Jewish. You know, but, you know, uh, that, being, that being said, what was your question again? Sorry. Oh, yeah, so, uh, so Messianic Jews, if they're Jews, they're Jewish. Most of the Messianic quote-unquote Jews are actually not Jews. They're just Christians trying to court the Jews. But there was quite a time, and there were books written by Jewish guys who yeah, there there were there were some we know throughout the ages. There's a famous uh, the great uh, the great uh, debate of the disputation, as it's called, of 1263, where Nachmanides has this big debate, uh, and he's he's promised immunity, and he has a debate with the with you know with the Jewish uh, apostate, and obviously he tr- destroys him in the debate. And they say, oh, they gave him 300 gold coins, and they said, oh, you yeah, but then, then actually no, you know, you really don't have immunity. You have to leave the country. So it's not a new thing that there are Jewish people that uh, pivot towards Christianity. It's very unfortunate, right? Uh, but um, but that I think the overwhelming thing today it's a bit danger. It's a bit danger because uh, a lot of people don't know necessarily that there's Jew, there's Judaism and then there's Christianity. They're different. So you say Messianic Judaism, uh, you know that that those two words don't go together. Like. You know that, that that that's an impossibility. An you know it's actually moral. It's an actually moral. But you know if a Jew is looking, you know if you have a Jew who just goes online and says, "Hey, uh, Jewish community near me," and you go there and there's so much Hebrew. If you actually, we have in our neighborhood, not far from where I live, there's a Messianic uh, synagogue, quote unquote, or church. If I'm calling it a church, and you look at the building and you never see as you've never in your life seen. A shul with so much Hebrew in it, you know. You haven't seen it's got the symbols and like it's it's trying to promote an aura of this is re, you know this is genuine. You know, lots of Hebrew, you know. But that's just a ruse because it's it's messianic. Uh, so, go ahead. Oh yeah, so it's, it's this guy. You know, this is obviously a big topic. You know how how conversions happen. My girlfriend um, is interested in converting, and um, they told her no. Mm-hmm. She was shocked. Which is, by the way, one of the tactics. Yeah, she has to ask again. Well, <laughs> no, but it's it's a way to separate the people that say, "Hey, this is a nice idea," to the people that are totally committed, no matter what. You know. Um, I just wondered if there was a formal. Yeah, so it's so it's it's there's a formal process, uh, but the the tactics are the tactics are up to the uh, court. Uh, so yeah, so the idea is you know we have to try to push them away to see if they're genuine, and how you push them away is kind of in the hands of the court. 
um, and the whole thing's a very, very touchy subject, which is why at Torch we avoid this. We don't deal with conversion, let the rabbis deal with it. You know, we teach the Torah. In the canonical law, Jewish law, it's only the Orthodox Judaism, rabbis who can actually endorse the conversion. Well, so that, that's interesting Will because. So, 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 so there has been efforts lately to try to uh, unify standards. Even amongst you say Orthodox, there's some Orthodox conversions that other Orthodox synagogues or won't won't recognize. So it's not about it's not about which kind of strand of Judaism. It's about wh- what the standard is and what they're actually doing. So there has been an effort uh, recently um, to try to make a uniform, like an international. You know that has uniform standards because it's you cannot have one guy who's like when he goes to one shul he's like oh you know he's a Jew and he leads the Torah services and right and right and he's their big donor and he goes to other shul like who is this guy you know this guy's not Jewish you cannot have that obviously there's something wrong with that um, so there is efforts and by the way in Israel they kind of bake this into the into the rabbinate. So it's much easier in Israel because there's only one uniform rabbinate that has all the local municipal rabbinates are under that umbrella. So, so it makes it easier. Marriage, so same as marriage, right. Um, you know, and like you say, marriage, if, if, you, if there's one standard for marriage, then everyone agrees who's married, who's not married. Right? If you have multiple standards, then you, someone might say, hey, these guys are married, but are they really? Let's go ask the other guy. Let's see what they say. So... Yes, it's controversial because what standard are they using? The people on the right will say, "Hey, it's not strict enough." Their their uh, uh, their standards. People on the left will say, "Oh, the standards are are way too strict." Uh, but there is a benefit. There is a benefit. And by the way, it goes with kosher certification as well. You know, uh, if there's if there is uniform national standards, it makes it a lot easier for someone who wants to eat kosher anywhere in America. You know, it makes it easier because you know what you're getting. And in Israel, it's like that as well. Like there are uniform standards across the entire country, which makes it easier. But even though it's not as simple, of course, um, but that, that's a good idea in general. It's controversial, of course. Everyone agrees that it's controversial. No one likes it. No one. Because you can't, you, you can't make everyone happy. Uh, but uniform standards makes it a lot easier to know what you're dealing with. Perhaps, I know we deal with less. It's a fairly general statement. Joe Blow, not Jewish, Who's going to question him? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. Like um, the Talmud even discusses, like if someone comes to town and he walks into shul with his tefillin and he starts praying and they I give him an aliyah, how would you? How are you ever going to know? Like, um, and yeah, but people that ask, you don't look Jewish. Well, that. Um, yeah, I appreciate my life. I don't know. This guy, yeah, so. last night, looked awful Jewish. That's Steve Max to the Mets. <laughs> Is he Jewish? He's from Long, I don't know. I couldn't from Long, know, but he, he's an NFL. How can no, he's from Jewish. Long Island. His parents are Laurie and Robin Matz. You know, he grew up in Long Island, certainly, and he looks as Jewish as could be. Uh, well, Jew, a lot of Jewish baseball players. But uh, either way, just to answer this question quickly, uh, it's a, it could be a problem even though most often in cases it's not, because uh, the problem, I think, today is probably the worst it's ever been because we have had lapses in continuity. Like, you know, look at the former Soviet Union. 
where we have 70 years, whatever, of, uh, of whatever it is, of, of Jews that suddenly were not able to identify as Jews. So, and, and that affected, obviously, their identity, but also their practice. So someone comes, you know, it's three generations later, and there's absolutely no record, uh, you know, in the interceding years of any sort of Jewish identity. Well, how do you know you're Jewish? You, you think so. Maybe, maybe you, you heard some hushed tones, you know, but you kind of would have to go back to graves. It, it's a hard thing. A lot of times when these people come to Israel, they just say, you know what? I'm just going to do a conversion to cover all bases because it's hard to really trace it back. Yes, so they, so they call that. They call, they call that. Uh, in the early 90s, when the Jews and the former Soviet Union were trying to immigrate to Israel, at the consulate, they would show actually really, really pictures of the graves with yeah. the last name. Uh, it's pretty crazy, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they show pictures of graves or they show pictures of ksubas. What is ksuba? A ksuba, ketuba. Of, of marriage. Uh, um, like their great great grandparents and trace it down. It's not easy. It's not you know. It's, it's not easy. Uh, but the, you know. But that. Took care of all the archives oh yeah. Well. Um, but that. But that. That would be. That would be a problem. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're right. There's sometimes someone actually watched the walk. It's kind of hard to, you know, it's hard to. Well, I mean, maybe they just want to become Jewish and don't want to go through the process. You know? I'm sure, it's happened before. I'm sure, uh, but they will. It won't make them Jewish, but. Uh, they want to be part of the community. In their mind, if they're Jewish in their mind, what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, my husband had that problem. So like 20-some years ago, he decided, you know, he liked, the, he liked my family's religion. We were Jewish. He wasn't. He was real into it. He loved the holidays. He loved everything about it. He really, he identified with it in like every way, the whole teachers and learning and question and learning and study and all of that. And so we went to a rabbi who had this long list of things for him to do. that the list was so long that he couldn't see that end where he finally became Jewish. So he stopped. We got to Texas. We went to another temple. We tried it again. And it wasn't until we got here and Rabbi Dan apparently had a list of things for him to do. You know, why do you want to do this? Answer these questions. Lots of talking. And he finally was like, you've done everything I've asked you to do. Let's set the date and get it done. And he was like, yes. You know, for him it was a year's process and it was but he was already doing everything at the house with us, and we were already, you know, everything we did was already, you know, with our son was everything Jewish. Mm. But for him, it was like every time he spoke to the rabbi, somebody had just a little bit more for him to do, a little bit more, and he was like, I think I've been persistent. I want to do this. So. But getting back to blessings. <laughs> I appreciate you guys delaying the blessing until I could come join you. Thank you okay. so much. Uh, so, go ahead. Which, by the way, which, by the way, is um, we'll get to blessings in a second. I'll try to do a truncated version of that. But uh, it, it's clear that Judaism was not meant to be 
a worldwide mass religion. Clearly, the restrictions are way, you know, like the restrictions and the laws are way too exhaustive. You know, the demands are, are, are so difficult. And like we say, they're the roadblocks for inclusion, you know, are, are formidable, you know. So it's interesting. If someone said, like, you know, Jews want to dominate the world, Maybe, maybe not, but clearly it's not via, you know, mass conversions. You know, we don't, we don't actively proselytize, so it's, it's interesting, you know, that maybe some of the things we would change if we wanted to be a mass religion. Either way, let's go back to blessings. Why do we make blessings? Uh, and why are they such a central part of our physical and spiritual and daily lives? So I want to just run through, I had I collected, like, I think seven or eight reasons that I found scattered throughout the uh, Talmud and Jewish literature that talk about kind of the value and how it's going to change our lives. So I think first, firstly, first and foremost, when someone makes a blessing, what does it force them to do? It forces them to notice what's going on, notice what they get, notice what they are able to indulge in, and appreciate and recognize that, and stop and take notice. And I think that we don't necessarily realize this, um, but I think maybe the greatest danger we can have in our spiritual lives is living a life mindlessly. It's not noticing without contemplating, without asking questions. Uh, and I think in Judaism we would say that such a life is, is really meaningless because you're not really living. You're not really examining everything that's going around you. Uh, so when someone takes the food and just gobbles it down, right, they, they're essentially living a life where they're demonstrating this is a, a given. I'm taking this for granted. I'm entitled to this. And I'm going to partake in it. When we say a blessing, we stop. And we recognize and we notice that this is a gift that the Almighty is involved in our lives. We notice it. We make a blessing on everything we eat. We thank God. We use the restroom. Uh, and we contemplate the wonderful joy and delight of digestion. You know, could you imagine if I told you like, what a miracle digestion is and you know, we, you, you know, we don't even realize that? You know, my body's able to digest. Like it's able to separate the foods and take the good and remove the weight. Like that's a miracle. And that kind of miracle can really, if we think about that, changes our lives. But if we never notice it, if we just take it for granted, we're entitled, we don't even have the traction to get our spiritual lives uh, underway. So the blessing forces us to notice and to appreciate everything that we encounter. And when we do that, what happens to us? So first of all, I want to argue that this transformation is not only for a spiritual. I say, hey, the rabbi's trying to make me spiritual. No. I want to argue that if someone, like you have two people at, at the restaurant, they both order the same exact steak, and one guy's like, you know, takes it like this with his hands and just gobbles it down. Another one like savors, and, you know, and, you know, uh, and really uh, notices the subtleties and the nuances of the food. Like, that, who enjoys it more? Clearly, the second, the second guy, huh? <laughs> well, I, I had a discussion. Well, last week, uh, my brother made a bar mitzvah in our, in our, in our synagogue. So for the Kiddush, they have cholent. Everyone knows what cholent is? Cholent is this ubiquitous Jewish stew, exactly. That, by the way, the reason why, you know, it, yes, it's, it's, it's basically like a slow-cooked stew that's been part of the Jewish diet for Saturday lunch since the times of the Talmud. And there's actually a reason why. Uh, the reason why it was established was because the Sadducees, you remember the Sadducees that we talked about, the ancient uh, Jewish 
uh, uh, sectarian uh, group that they said you cannot have, when the Torah says you cannot have a fire, you can't have any illumination, any heat, any hot food. Even though we know that when it says you can't have a fire, you can't make a new fire, but an existing fire, you can have. So in order to counteract that, the, the, the Jews established as a ubiquitous custom to have uh, hot foods on Saturday lunch that you made before Shabbos, but it stayed hot throughout the Shabbos to show that we, you know, that we don't agree uh, to, to, you know, to the Sadducees. Either way, so um, last week by the Kiddush, they had two massive pots of what's called cholent. And my brother made one and I made one. And this is 20 quarts. It's an enormous pot. And we each made, we made it entirely different. And we said, I told some of the guys, I said, okay, um, I want you to taste both of them. I'll tell me which one's better. So we have a guy, we have a chef in our, in our community, and he tasted one, he tasted mine first, and he tasted the other one. So I went out to ask him, I said, which one's better? He says, well, actually, uh, I tasted your first, and it was fantastic. And I said, oh, there's no way his brother could beat him. But then, I would taste your brother's, and it was more balanced. I was thinking, like, I don't think I've ever used the term balanced to describe food, ever. No, but no, but to, to me that that shows what a food connoisseur is. It, it's able to notice the If you engage in the physical world and you don't stop and think and contemplate what you're doing, not only it's not spiritually enriching, you, you miss out on the physical experience as well. You know, I think a blessing will actually help us enjoy the food on a physical level uh, as well as a spiritual level. So that's just point number one. I'm not just trying to brainwash you to have more spiritually enriched lives, even though that would be a good thing as well. The chef should uh, get more out of it than the people eating because they, uh, they're involved with every part of the So? Uh, they should have a spirit. Well, let's see how what happens to us spiritually when we do this. You know? Remember, I bought a new stove here um, yeah. a month or two ago. One of the settings that is on a lot of the stoves now is the Sabbath mode. So it's able to stay on. It's fantastic. I want to argue, my grandfather wrote, says the first step of someone's spiritual journey has to be this. To notice things, to have an awareness, to have a mindfulness, and not taking things for granted. When you realize that you deserve nothing, you, you, you're entitled to nothing. Then everything has value. Then everything has meaning. Then everything is joyous. All your experiences are suddenly enriched. When you stop and make a blessing before you eat something, right, you're saying, I don't deserve it. But the Almighty, in His graciousness, right, loves me and gives me this. That's what you're saying. Yeah. What that does to your spiritual mindset, it totally transforms. And think about this. If you make 100 blessings a day, we're talking about 36,000 blessings a year. If you make 36,000 blessings a year, and you come out the year later, you will be a radically different person spiritually. You'll have an awareness of God that's, uh, that's, that, you know, that's palpable. That's not just some idea. We'll talk about that in point number two. So point number one is that when we make blessings, we begin to notice and appreciate uh, all the goodness that we have. Point number two is that when we make blessings, we have faith. It's a way to uh, obtain faith. 
And if you think about this, you know, we think of faith as something that we get from our parents, from our synagogue, you know. It's something that we learn from an early age. And that's true. But unfortunately, most of our, uh, our faith, I would classify as theoretical faith. That if I ask you a question, do you believe in this or do you believe in that? That's a theoretical question. Emunah, the, the word that we use in Jewish philosophy to, to describe faith, emunah is something that's more real, more practical. That is, you know, it's a certain mindset that's not just an ideal that's theoretical or, you know, uh, um, um, hypothetical, something that's, uh, you know, that's not really uh, affecting my life on a day-to-day level, uh, but rather it actually is infused into our day-to-day experiences. You know, how, how did Abraham achieve faith? So yes, Abraham had a philosophical approach to faith as well, but that penetrated into his life and made it practical. Yeah. Go ahead. This has to do with blessing. If we're learning all these blessings or you're blessing everything, after a while, it all becomes part of your root and you don't even think about it. So in the beginning, when you're first doing these things, like if you're praying every day, if, there, if the prayer book has 86 out of 100, Either way, it goes so fast. Nobody even, after a while, nobody even thinks of what they're saying. They just say it. So it loses some of that. Yes, that's a very powerful question. It's a very, very powerful point. And you're right. You lose it. However, that is where the real spiritual lead work happens. means, for some people, you know, there's two... There's two problems of 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 uh, of, um, of social norms. Uh, there are some people that society has told them to abandon God and not believe in that. Well, then they're socially engineered to not have faith. And then there's the other problem at the opposite extreme is the people whose society has told them to indeed believe in God, and then they're socially engineered to believe in God, and then they take that for granted, and that becomes rote. Neither one is correct. We have to be our own man, right, or woman. Uh, we have to be, uh, you know, we, our responsibility is to not just accept what our society has told us and to really live a way that we deem to be fit. So with regards to faith, you cannot say, oh, I have faith for sure, and I, you know, and, 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 you know, and, the, and the prayers and all the mitzvahs and all that, fantastic, I'll just do it, I'll just do it and I'll think about that. In fact, I would argue that the mitzvahs specifically are there to combat rote. It means, even though they can induce rote, which is a little bit of... of, of uh, dichotomy. Yeah, of a dichotomy. Thank you, John. Um, and you're right. And I'll tell you what the Talmud says. The Talmud quotes a verse in Isaiah 29 that talks about mitzvahs anashim milumada, which means a mitzvah that people do out of habit, out of rote, out of training, you know, not because they're really feeling something. And the Talmud says, Kalman quotes two verses, and it says, um, the one verse that talks about idolatry, and it says the punishment for idolatry is hafle, which means wonders, and the punishment for doing mitzvahs at a rote is hafle vafel, which means wondrous wonders. Thus, what it says is that 
what it says is is that the punishment for someone doing mitzvahs out of rote is much worse than the punishment for idolatry. We think of idolatry as the worst of all evils, yet it's not, it's, you know, we cannot uh, be comfortable by saying, oh, uh, uh, we're going to, um, I'll just do all the mitzvahs, no problem. You know, that's not what the Almighty wants from us. The Almighty wants us to really experience it. And that's what I'll tell you. Just saying the blessings without knowing what you're saying or without having the meaning behind it is also a problem. It's as big of a problem as not saying the blessings at all. And that's why we know there's room for someone to grow spiritually throughout their lives. You know, once you get into the pattern of doing blessings, that's the step one. Now you're in the pattern. The other danger is, uh, is ever-present, and that is you'll get into just the mode of doing it by rote and at a habit, and that's also dangerous. And that's why you have to constantly in, you know, uh, invoke the meaning in the, in the experiences or in the rituals that are repetitive. Yes, that's a, another amazing question. Another amazing question. So uh, what the Talmud says, and the, the, the place that this is most manifest is in blessings and prayer. Because these are the things that we say, so you can very easily memorize it. It's very easy to memorize a prayer, I assure you, I know, I've done it. And it's very hard when you have the prayer memorized to actually stop and say what you're thinking and, th- you know. We're talking to God, think about this, you're talking to God in the prayers, right? Uh, the one word that's in every blessing is ata. What does ata mean? You're talking to God like you talk to your fellow. Like, just just think about what that even means. We're talking to God in first person. It's just insane. Yet we're like, you know, you put it on autopilot. Uh, so what the Talmud says, says that, that prayer is avodah belive, which means it's work, it's toil in the heart. The challenge, the obstacle of, that we face um, when encountering meaningful prayer, it's not in learning the words or pronouncing the Hebrew, it's in our heart. It's working to try to get that feeling of, uh, you know, of, of the seriousness or, or, or at least the, the realness of, of what you're saying. You're talking to God. The Talmud even says is that the, the ancient uh, pious people what they would do is they would spend an hour before each prayer, by the way, praying three times a day, an hour before each of them just to clear their thoughts. Can you imagine? I know how they hold the nine-to-five job, right? Imagine if you're clearing your thoughts for an hour three times a day. What they're doing is this work of, in the heart of making prayer, making ritual meaningful. And indeed, there is a, a tremendous risk of it not being meaningful. That's a tremendous danger as well. Um, and, and, and the way we would do this is to maybe every once in a while revisit a certain idea, a certain ritual, and focus on it and try to reinvigorate it with meaning. You know, So if that means, hey, when I pray, I want to pray out of a book instead of praying by heart. If I know I pray by heart and therefore I just say it, I just go autopilot, lip service, I'm done. Yeah, I could do that. 
If I wanted to counteract that, maybe the first step would be to say, hey, for the next uh, uh, six weeks, I'm going to pray out of a book. Thus, maybe reading you from the book will make me more likely to focus on what I'm saying and have meaning in what I'm saying. Except it's different from you than, like, for me, for You haven't memorized but you know you're able to speak Hebrew. You know what you're saying. But it's very easy to memorize. But I memorize that. I might have memorized it before I knew what it even, what it even meant. <laughs> yeah, but still, but you know the word. The word. Yeah. So, or so if someone didn't know the words, then what they would do is maybe read it from the English. Yeah, good. You know, and and think about what they're saying. You know, I have a, I have a, a friend, a friend, colleague of mine who I used to study with in Israel. In Israel. He, he, he's now a rabbi in Los Angeles and he sent me a, um, a book that he wrote, a small little book that he published what's the book about? well it's about chapter 27 in, in the book of Psalms and that's Ledon Hashem uh, Orvishi that's, the, that's the, first, uh, the first verse and it's a book it's a chapter in Psalms that we say traditionally throughout the month of Elul throughout the holidays of uh, that that follow uh, the the high holidays. So all the way through Sukkot. So about for about uh, fifty days a year, we say it every day uh, after the the morning and evening prayers. So what he did is in his little pamphlet, he took the fourteen verses of that psalm, and he made fourteen chapters on one in each verse, and he really dug into the theme of each verse. You know. If you wanted to have meaning in a ver in a, in a in a series of verses in a chapter in Psalms that you're saying in your prayers, maybe you read a book like that, and you say, "Wow, there's a whole chapter that can be written on each in each verse, because each verse is saying some tremendous idea that you know that makes it meaningful." So, so yes, you may have a, a head start if you can read Hebrew, and you understand Hebrew, of course, but that, so that's not that, that's not a, a magic bullet, and 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 it doesn't mean that if doesn't someone does not speak Hebrew that they're incapable of having meaning in their, in, you know, in their rituals that involve the unknown language. I have a quick question. Go is ahead. That, is that the toll of the heart, is that why the small has it twice about love the Lord your God with all your heart? Maybe. To maybe that concept. Yeah, maybe what, what, it, what it means in the heart, in the, the heart is, is a reference to something that's real without, without thinking about it, you know? Uh, you know, if I wake someone up in the middle of the night and I ask them a certain question, what their name is, they don't have to stop and say, oh, let me get my passport out. You know, let me get my papers. What's my uh, uh, alias now, right? You know it, right? You live it. That's who you are. That's what it means, your heart. A heart's a reference to the, th- those precepts and ideas that are not something that you have to pull from some sort of server in your brain, but rather it's something that you, who you are. And that's what it means to worship God with your heart. It means that this is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a long distance from your mind to your heart, uh, but that's the focus of, of, the, of the Jewish uh, spiritual journey. Yeah, I think you would be right there. Maybe this is one of the reasons we are required to be part of a community. Why is that? Do so you think it's easier to it's easier in a community to have meaning in rituals, or what could be helps. rituals? I think it helps. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Certainly, we develop those rituals. Yeah, but I, we think of someone in the forest, 
you know, with absolute unity with God, like by himself, with Hitbo de Dude. I don't know, I'm saying I think there's an argument both ways, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I think every situation prevent, presents opportunities and, of course, challenges. You know, I, I think that it, when you, let's say, pray with a with a community that has it's a much more powerful experience, but when it's also less individual, and therefore there's room for you to just go with the flow. I think it's a good argument either either way. Uh, another point here: we are typically. Uh, I, I wouldn't argue that most of us are. Uh, have a sense of entitlement. You know, most of us realize when good, goodness has happened to us. But I think maybe um, what what um, what blessings do is they're able to uh, arouse that feeling of uh, of joy in in many more situations. I'll, I'll explain what I mean. Every parent, uh, I would I would say probably every parent uh, has a deep moment of faith at the birth of a child. If you see a, a, a birth of a child, like if you experience that from beginning to end, that's a, that, that's a dramatic, like just wonderful, just such a gift and such a miracle, of course. Uh, and of course, we know there are blessings that mark such occasions when we celebrate wonderful news. But the blessings compel us to not only notice the big events in life, those life-changing milestones, but also the sip of water that we don't even think about. So what it does is it's going to expand the realm of, of, of experiences that we're going to notice. And, you know, someone mentioned hamotzi here. We say hamotzi lechem in arts. Uh, blessing we say in bread. And by the way, I have over here, I've made printouts for you guys, which I almost never do, uh, of, of the six pre-food blessings and the different blessings that we make on those foods. So it's a nice little handy book if you want to, uh, uh, if you want to uh, uh, go further in this journey. What does it mean that most lechem in arts? God takes earth, out, God takes bread out of the earth. Like, did anyone ever stop and ask a question like, hey, I drop a seed, which is inedible, into an earth soil, which is inedible, I pour water in it, and suddenly I have a tree and fruits that are delicious? Like, I don't even, like, stop to say, like, how wonderful that is. And we just take it for granted, right? We just, like, just, I, I, they don't know, even know how that works. We have, we have some scientists here, right? How does that even work? I have no idea. You drop a seed into the ground, and before you know it, you, you cannot choose soil, right? So that's not inedible, right? And before you know it, there's a tree, and it has apples. And you eat the apples, the lush, it's delicious, it's healthy. It's just this wonderful balance of of solid and juicy, like it's, it's just wonderful, it has this appealing color, and then you finish the apple, and you got a coupon for another tree. It's just, it's just incredible. And we just take it for granted. And if we just, every time we eat, we eat food, we can have a dramatic spiritual experience. And this is something that we do every day. And it's something that we wouldn't necessarily accord the, uh, the importance of, of a life-changing event, of a birth of a child, or something like that. Right? But if you think about that, like, I, I have no idea how this even works. I, 
I, don't, I have no idea. Does anyone know? No one knows, really. Eh, the pearls and nutrients. Come on. It's a miracle. You drop a seed in the ground, it's a miracle. Like, imagine you someone dropped an iPhone on the ground and started watering it, and suddenly just a, a tree of iPhones came out. Like, w- wouldn't that be wonderful? No. <laughs> wouldn't you park your car... Not for Apple. You park your car in the ground, and, like, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of lechsai are just sprouting. Like, how does that even work? It's just a miracle. And that's a miracle that could really change our spiritual lives. You know? And the, the blessings compel us to do that. Well, you don't realize all these miracles Exactly, which is why I mean, we counteract that. Which is a very powerful uh, method if you want to just imagine, if you want to appreciate the value of something, imagine life without it. You want to say, hey, glass of water, wonderful, right? But there's so much water available. Oh, really? Let's go to the Sahara for a nice little spazir, as they say in Yiddish, and, and see how, how much we value the water then. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's, what the, that's what the blessings are for, to take even the minor experiences in our lives and make him really enriched and wonderful on a physical level, but also on a spiritual level. Okay, uh, I want to quickly run through because I also want to actually get to the laws of blessings and how they work and what we do with them. And I have uh, uh, like six more reasons why we make blessings. Blessings elevate our physical activities to being spiritual. And I know people um, uh, were thinking of this earlier, uh, but when we have a physical experience, right, typically we think of these two realms of our lives as being entirely distinct. The insight of Judaism, I would to argue if there was to be one uh, universal idea in Judaism that is unique or almost entirely unique uh, to the Jewish worldview, it's the idea of this conversion, of this crossroads between our physical and our spiritual lives. They don't have to be distinct. We take our physical and we lift it up. We make it spiritual as well. Right? That's what holiness means. Holiness is where the physical is able to be uplifted to the spiritual. That's why so many of our mitzvahs involve our physical life. So many mitzvahs involve food. Like, we make a blessing on food. Why is this a spiritual activity? The answer is because it can be. And you have back to the split screen of the two people eating the steak. One person is doing a spiritual experience as well as a physical experience, and the other person is the only physical. When you make a blessing on the food you are lifting it from a physical or merely a physical category to being spiritual as well. Um, So uh, in a way, uh, we could say that it's possible for us to have an entire life of meteoric spiritual ascension because our spiritual life is spiritual. Our physical life can also be spiritual as well. Um, Not only that, guys, Here's where it gets a little tough. Talmud says as follows. Talmud asks a question. There's two verses in the book of Psalms that seem to be contradictory. Verse number one, it says, Hashem The Almighty owns the entire earth. Verse number one. Verse number two, Which means that the heavens are for God, but the earth is for us, for people, for humanity. So one verse says that the earth is God's, and one verse says that the earth is ours. 
So which one is it? Ask Talmud. Which one is it? Ours is it or is it God's? Seems to be a, a contra- Is there any way to wiggle out of this? It's his, but it's for us. No. Ha'aretz natan levnenam. It's ours. There's no easy answer, right? Is the earth ours or is it God's? One for... Huh? Yes. <laughs> yeah, but it's our. We're something distinct from God, right? Yeah, we only exist... We only exist due to God's graciousness, but we're something distinct. Thomas says like this. The answer is that the earth is God's before a blessing. The earth is ours after a blessing. If someone wants something, they can't have it because it's God's. Unless they make a blessing, then they can't have it, then it's theirs. So what is the, what's the transaction that takes the world and takes it from being God's to being ours? The blessing. Well, what happens if someone indulges in this world without a blessing? That's the next Talmud. If someone indulges in this world without a blessing, it's as if they steal from God. Because it's God's. Not only that, they steal from God, they steal from humanity. They steal from the Jewish people. So, not only is a blessing some nice thing that we can have if we want to have a spiritual life, we want to have enriched, you know, we want to have appreciation and enriched experiences, but Talmud makes it very clear, the verses make it clear, that we can't, we're not allowed to have it. It's not ours, it's God's. We're, we're encroaching on God's stuff. It's, you, you know, you don't want to steal from God. You know, maybe from from your boss, you could, you know, from the company, whatever, I could take some paper clips home, you know, but from God, no one wants to steal from God. That's not the kind of enemy we want to, uh, we want to have. And how do we acquire it? How do we make that it's from, that's not God, it's ours, via a blessing. And if we do not, if we do not, uh, um, if, we, if we don't make a blessing, it's if we stole from God and we stole from the Jewish people, which I'll explain in a second. How does this work? How is a blessing, how is a blessing something that causes us to acquire that that was uh, uh, heretofore, sorry, God's? Uh, So Rabbi Israel Salanter, arguably the most influential rabbi of the 19th century, he famously compared the world to an expensive hotel. You go to a hotel, really fancy, swanky hotel, and you go like, oh, wow, let's see what we got here. So you open the mini bar, and there's tons of alcohol and candy, and you look at the, there's a menu, right? And you order, oh, so much delicious food. And you order, and you don't think about it. You're there for a week, you order and order and order and order, and then you come back in the morning, your, your, your fridge is replenished. No one charge you anything. Fantastic. And you come at the end, and it's a bill of, you know, $1,800. Why? Because that bottle of water was $6. Bottle of water, $6? Right? In fancy hotels, all the prices are inflated. That's what this world is. This world, you look around, everything's free. Like, you eat the bread, and you, God doesn't charge you. You know? The, you know, there's so much pleasures to enjoy. Nothing charged. But then, when your hotel stay is over... You gotta pay a pretty penny for it, right? Now, says Rabbi Sandi, he finishes his thought. Who's the one guy? Who's the one person who goes to the hotel and eats whatever they want and drinks whatever they want and empties out the mini mini the the, the uh, mini bar 
and doesn't have to worry about paying the hefty bill at the end of their stay? Huh? Well, the over the owner, but Democrats. The answer is is an ambassador. If you're an ambassador, all the bills sent directly to your your nation that pays for your trip. So if we want to have a free ride in this world, we have to become ambassadors for God in this world. If we are, if we're living a life that we are promoting uh, the ideas of morality, goodness, kindness, Torah, mitzvahs, if that is our primary goal, then our stay in this hotel is going to be bankrolled by the Almighty. We don't have to worry about it. We can indulge as much as we want. The physical world is not, it's not going to be problematic for us to partake in because we know that so long as we are faithful ambassadors to the Almighty in this world, by the way, as is our mission as a chosen people, we are God's ambassadors to the world. We are the ones that are upholding the mission of bringing God to the world. But if we do that faithfully, we don't have to worry about paying the bill at the end of the hotel stay. That's the idea on a global level. I were to argue that uh, how do you actually pay for it? What currency are you using to pay for your stay? You're using spiritual currency. I were to say that when someone makes a blessing, that is a transaction. That's the way he acquires something that was God's and now it becomes his. So if you want to buy something in this proverbial minibar, how do you buy it? What do you pay for it? What currency does God take? Right? The answer is spiritual currency in the form of a blessing. Uh, so, so, so this is, uh, I, I think this ups the ante. Like for us, if we were like, hey, blessings are really nice, it's wonderful, it's, you know, it's, it's positivity, it's, 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 it's going to enrich our experience. Like here, the Talmud makes it very clear. If someone partakes in this world without making a blessing, they stole from God and they stole from the Jewish people. So we just explained how they stole from God. How did they steal from the Jewish people? But if someone else makes a bless, doesn't make a blessing, how does that impact us? Yeah, but uh, if they make the blessing, it's still not available, right? But if they made the blessing, they didn't steal it. Well, okay, so yeah, so it's a little bit of a, of a perplexing idea. Like they, they stole it from God, but not from us. And the answer is like this. A blessing is not only a way of acquiring something. It's also creating a connection to God in the form of a pipeline. Remember, God is suddenly now allowing this thing to be bought. You know? So this uh, activity right, creates a wellspring of blessing and goodness to the entire world. So when someone makes a blessing, what happens? So yes, they're able to enjoy and partake in, the, in that they're making a blessing upon. But what happens is, is, they, is they become... A, uh, or this experience creates a pipeline of goodness from the Almighty to the world. The Almighty is going to shower the world with more blessing, with more goodness. And when they don't make the blessing, well, then they're withholding goodness from the whole world. So not only are they stealing from God, they're stealing from us as well. We could have had a more positive experience on planet Earth if that guy only made his blessing. So our blessings are not only affecting us, they're affecting everyone around us, the entire world essentially, the whole Jewish people, but really the whole world at large.
I'm sorry? It's been a paucity of blessings around the world. Well, uh, you know, I, I think of it as, um, I think of it as, um, you know, there's a, a verse we read last week in the Parsha. It talks about Abraham being a blessing. Abraham will be a blessing. God doesn't leave the land of Israel and go leave the land of, uh, of towards the land of Israel, and those who bless you will be blessed; those who curse you will be cursed. And, says, and you will be a blessing. And the Midrash says, by the way, it says something crazy. It says that not only uh, will those people that bless Abraham be blessed, but those people that even had a connection with Abraham they would also be blessed. Like everything that he touched, so to speak, turned to gold. Not only that, people that would invoke Abraham's name when they were in a time of despair or tragedy, they, you know, God would send them salvation. So the idea of a blessing as a connection, it even works if someone is connected to someone like Abraham, right? to, to a spiritual beacon in the form of a person like Abraham, that also affects the goodness that, uh, that flows towards them. How much more so when they connect to the source of all blessings, the Almighty. Okay, so we raise the ante a little bit. We're going to raise a little more. Everyone ready here? Let's do it. There is a statement in the Talmud as follows, which is going to be, it's going to be a, a, a hard, it's not, not readily understood at face value. And it's based upon a verse, uh, where the verse in the end, towards the end of Exodus, that talks about God's place. Now, whenever many times in the Torah, God is described, or one of the names associated with God is the place. The Talmud says as follows. The place? The place. Hamakom. Hamakom, yeah. Hamakom. What does that mean? So the Talmud Talmud says like this. Talmud says, the world is not God's place. Rather, God is the world's place. Which sounds like a really naughty idea. It sounds like a, like a philosophical tongue twister. The world is not God's place. God is the world's place. Now, what does that mean? So, uh, people, uh, you know, most interpretations deal with the philosophical nature of this teaching. What does that mean on a physical, philosophical, even theological level? My grandfather, in his writings, I found this incredible idea uh, which, which will be applied to blessings, as, as we'll see. We have to ask the question, what comes first, the world or God? Now, what does that mean by that? We have a mitzvah to honor our parents. Right? You know, honor your parents, and we, we said that maybe we'll have you have a class about that. We talked about it last time we were here about Ten Commandments. Honoring parents. What's the dynamic? How does that work? So typically we think, hey, listen, you have parents. And the parents do so much for you. And your parents care for you and worry for you and they raise you and they pay for all your expenditures and they go to soccer practice. And it only makes sense that you honor them and that's right and that's moral. That's what we think. Uh, we think, just to uh, uh, summarize, we think that, hey, you have parents, honor them. When in reality, it's the opposite that the Almighty created the world in a manner 
that we have parents in order that we can fulfill the mitzvah. I mean, what comes first? If we say that the world comes first, you have parents. Okay, now what does God say about that? Then comes God. Then what are you doing? You're essentially saying that the world is God's place. The world's here first, and let, let's invoke God into the world. It's really the opposite. Everyone seemed to agree earlier that God comes first and then the world. So thus the mitzvah is the constant. That's what's there first. And then comes along the scenario. So God wanted us to have opportunity to do a mitzvah of honoring parents. Thus he created the world in a way that we'll have parents. And every mitzvah is like that as well. Um, We think, hey, we need to eat. As humans, we need to eat. Oh, let's make it spiritual. Let's make a blessing. When in fact the opposite is really true. The Almighty wanted us to have the spiritual experience first. Thus the world followed. You know, the world is not God's place. The, the, the world is um, the world is God. Uh, the world is not God's place. God is the world's place. Right? We start with God, and then the world follows. God wants us to have the spiritual experience of the blessing. Thus, He compelled us to need food and thus to be able to make blessings. So, the only from a spiritual level, the only reason why we need to eat is in order to gain the blessings before and then afterwards. So it's not just an addendum to, to the experience of eating. It's the core. Oh, and you actually have to, ha- have to eat as well, right? You know, that also follows. And I would, even, I would extend this to everything. Like, wh- why do we digest? We just take it as for granted, right? We just assume that when we consume food, there's going to be the waste, and we'll have to, we'll have to digest it. You know, that doesn't have to be so. Right? That assumption is based upon a model where the world comes first and then God. But we say as Jews that God comes first and then the world. Thus, the reason why we need to digest is to maybe have this as a tool for faith. To make the blessing after we go to the restroom and to realize how God is involved in in our lives and how, you know, and how we can derive tremendous spiritual uh, benefits from that kind of thought process. And everything, like, this is a radical idea. Like, you know, the reason why we need to eat is not because we need sustenance, right? I don't know, mo- I don't know about anyone here, like, but you know, most people, their heart works without any batteries, right? Some people, unfortunately, they need to put batteries in there. Right, uh, but the Almighty could have made it. Like, are there, is there batteries in the sun? Does it need like consumption? Does maybe, I don't know. Maybe yes. Maybe no. But the Almighty, like the model that, that the Almighty uh, makes with the you know Earth, does Earth need batteries? Maybe God gives it batteries, but we don't see it in any practical way. How come suddenly we need to be refreshed and we need to go to sleep at night and wake in the morning? Maybe that's not the constant. Maybe God came first, then the world. The world is modeled after the ways with which we can use the world to get to God. When you're talking about Amakon, yes, aren't you uh, touching on Kabbalah? Well, no. Well, this isn't from the Talmud. So, so yes, I said there, there is a theological realm to this idea that we're not talking about. Clearly, obviously, um, uh, but. 
but the idea of God taking precedence or, or, or uh, um, um, uh, you know, God being there beforehand in our spiritual model, I don't think that, that that's touching upon Kabbalah uh, at all, actually. Um, so um, I, I were to say, like, um, just this point is that the blessing is not just a way to eat, you know, the kosher way of eating. It's like this is why we eat to begin with, which is obviously a dramatic idea. Uh, and the last idea before we actually get into the blessings themselves um, is the idea that we've talked about again and again, and that's the idea of tikkun olam. Uh, if you were to crystallize the Jewish mission, global, national mission, into two words, it would be tikkun olam, fixing the world. Well, how do we fix the world? What's broken about the world? We've spoken about this uh, many times, and sometimes at great length. What's broken about the world is the fact that God is not ever pre- is not present everywhere. In our perception, in the world's perception, it's not clear, it's not evident. That's the problem with the world, it's the problem with humanity. And our focus as a nation, as individuals, and part of the collective, is to change that. And the Torah is the tool. Well, think about that. If every time someone eats, they do not recognize the fact, the Almighty's participation in that activity, well, that is a demonstration of a broken world. Conversely, if every time someone partakes in the world, every experience they have, they invoke God, and, you know, they, they, they mention God, they recognize God, well, that's fixing the world. If all of us were living a life where, every, where God was involved in every aspect of our lives, and we would verbally mention that, and every time, a hundred times a day, we, we invoke this idea, that is a word. That is a community that is doing their part in bringing the idea of God into the world. And speaking of that, let's let's look a little bit at the at, at the actual um, words of the blessing. I want to pass these out here. As we mentioned, there are a lot of blessings. I made twenty copies. So I hope that uh, covers everyone. If not, maybe share with your neighbor. Uh, and we mentioned this blessings that cover really every part of uh, our potential experiences. Um, but they all share a commonality, and that is the first six words. Uh, and what, I, what you have there in your handouts is uh, the six categories of food with regards to blessings, and the six different uh, texts of the blessings that we say for these six different kinds of foods. Uh, and you'll notice that we have obviously the bread, uh, we have the, the wine and grape juice, we have the other grain-based products, fruits and vegetables, and everything else. Miscellaneous category. Uh, but let's start with the, the first uh, words on the top. So all, all of them start with Baruch Atah Hashem, Elokeinu Melech Olam, and then we say either Hamoz Lechon Aretz, in fact, if you count all the words that someone needs to memorize, to memorize these six blessings, it's six plus 19. We're talking about 25 <laughs> words. Really not a lot of words to memorize. Um, the mezo, it's mezonos. Mezonote or mezonos depends how you want to pronounce it. How, how does it really spell the T, but... 
seen it both ways. I was just curious. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the, the just slightly different pronunciation. So this uh, Ashkenazi or Sephardic uh, okay. consonants. Um, for one, if somebody speaks black, I mean, I've heard this Cream wine? What's it made out of? It's it's white grape juice. No, it's it's a wine. It's wine, but it's a. Is it made out of grapes? Yeah. So if it's made out of grapes, it will be wine. If it's not made of grapes, it would not be wine. Simple. But they sometimes sell blackberry wine. But if it's black, uh, well, if it's if it's if it's berries, it's not wine, according to this. Well, if it's not made of gaffin, gaffin means a vine. If it's not from the vine, if it's not from the, if it's not from grapes, it's not a gaffin. Okay, There's a lot of questions that we can, a lot of different food items and, and precedent. Play that I spent six months learning laws of blessings. There's a lot to talk about. No, you could you could whisper them. You could whisper them. You have to say them verbally. Verbally, yes. Uh, in whatever language you want, they don't have to be. That's not, yes, you. Yes, you cannot do it in your head. Um, hopefully, like Bernie told us, you'll actually think about what you're saying as well while you while you verbalize it, because then it means there's a danger of saying it just verbally, not thinking about it. But thinking about it without saying it is also uh, uh, not uh, optimal. So if you have say a dish like uh, almost like a steak with vegetables on the side, will you do it? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, yes. Uh, good question. Good question. So every every food item has to have its own blessing. However, there are exceptions to that. Uh, for example, when someone eats bread, that creates a bread meal, and therefore everything that's in, included in that bread meal that's there for sustenance and nourishment is going to be covered by the original blessing for bread. So like on Friday night dinner, when we have challah, you make that motz in the challah, you don't need to make the shahakrol on uh, on the fish that you're going to have or on the, uh, on the meat or chicken that you're going to have or the soup you're going to have. Uh, you don't make a bazonos on whatever uh, pies you're going to have. That's all part of the meal that's included in the original blessing. But otherwise, if you have the steak and the vegetables, you've got to make the shahakrol on the steak and the hadama on the vegetables. By the way, the order of those six blessings that they are delineated on your paper is actually the order of the blessings you would make. So if you would have the steak and the vegetables, you make the blessing on the vegetables first, because that, uh, uh, that takes precedence, and you, uh, uh, over the general blessing of the shahakral that covers everything that's not included in those categories, that would come second. Why, why is that? Just because it's a more of a general approach? Yeah, so the, the, the more specialized the, 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 the blessing is, the, the earlier you say the, the, the precedence. And, but not only that, um, um, with it, like if you have let's say two, there's so much on this, guys. I'm telling you, we're getting to like the this specifics here. But if you have let's say two items, both of them in the same category, which one you make the blessing on? So you have, uh, you have a, um, you got a pepper, and you have a, um, I don't know, uh, a cucumber. Both of them are vegetables. Both of them are burpee adama. Which one takes precedence? It doesn't really make a difference, but the, the halacha says that you make the blessing on the one that you prefer. Well, you make it. You you only make one blessing. You don't have to make it every time every bite you chew. You don't have to make another blessing. So you got a tall salad. 
So, right, so then you might just take a stoop of everything and make a blessing on that. What if you have an item, back to that chalent that we talked about. You have a stew that has, it's all mixed together, and you have an element, you have got some barley in it, so that's a grain-based product. You have some, uh, you put in some hot dogs in it. Uh, that's shahakal, which is about, you don't like that. You got, some, you got some beans in it, you got some, some vegetables in it. What blessing do you make on that? These are older questions. Yeah, but no, but because there's grain in it, that will be considered grain-based product. Because you would say that that's the highest, and that therefore. Exactly, because this because the stew creates one food item. That's right, but sometimes if it's a stew, that's really that's really that's really just all the food being lumped together. It's not really a stew. It's just the Europeans are serving it all in one plate. That's different. Like we said, that this this could get complex. So I have one question. So Go ahead. Yeah, well, mine would fall under the dreams category, Shah Kroll. So we'd be falling under Right, but remember, if you're in the middle of a bread meal, the food and drinks are covered in the original bread blessing. So in your bread meal, you're not making a blessing on, uh, on your water because it's part of the bread meal. It's covered with that original blessing. Well, not well, not really, because it doesn't cover desserts. Oh, I forgot about that. But depends which kind of dessert. I, uh, you spent six months on this? Well, yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. You have pies? Well, okay, that's a good question. Is that, is that, the question you would have, is that dessert or is that part of the meal? No, dessert. Well, who says it's dessert? You, you're saying it's dessert. I'm, I may argue with you. Because I, I, anything, I, you, you, I remember the, the the battles that we had, uh, the battles that we had over like potato chips. Is that dessert or not? Because some people would eat potato chips as a, like a, that's still sustenance. It's a snack as well, but it could be sustenance as well. Yeah, yeah, that might be part of the meal. Well, but you talk to my kids. What's wrong with non-verbalization? Well, well, it's it's like it's like the vidu vidu the confession that we do in Yom Kippur. Whenever you whenever you verbalize something, you bring it out. And when we talked about 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 speech, when we spoke about lashon hara, how speech is this conversions of of the physical and spiritual. Remember that we spoke about that. Oh, you missed a good one. Um, but the idea of speech, where it's it's really who we are as a human, is what we say, because speech is the touch point of our physical and spiritual lives. You know, speech is partially physical, but it's also spiritual as well. So that's why when we verbalize something, we really bring it out into the into the world. You can verbalize for yourself. Yeah, you're verbalizing for yourself. That's the experience. It's verbalizing. Thinking it is not good enough. You don't have to. No, no, thinking is not good enough. That's right. I mean, when I'm at restaurants, I say, "No one." I'll even be with someone on business. They don't have to hear. Don't say, you know, "Hadamad." They don't even know I'm saying it. I just. No, it has nothing to do with whether they know or not. Just it's eight words. What you're thinking is just as important as what you verbalize. Mm-hmm. That's what it's I'm like, I'm sure we, 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 you watched the game last night, the Mets game, right? Yeah. 
where people are saying let's no mets where they're just thinking in their heads? Why are people game. streaming? Just just think about it. More important was the Temple Notre Dame game, although Temple lost 24-20. I, I went to Temple for this. I didn't say the blessing. I remember the one thing that was confu- the most confusing thing to us when we were studying blessings. What blessing is in a granola bar? That was like, I'm telling you, you ask people what blessing, like that's the most, I, I know people that wouldn't, sometimes if you have a doubt what, what, you'll, what, you'll, what blessing is making something, you'll say, hey, you know, you know what you'll do? Just eat a bread meal, and that way it covers all blessings so that way you don't have to figure out which blessing it is because it's covered regardless of which whatever blessing it is. So there's some foods that some people will only eat during a bread meal because then it covers everything uh, that's included in that. So, like, I remember... So what was the answer to the granola bar? So I think granola bar is hadama because it's, 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 it's roasted. It's, it's really... It's still, veg, it's still grains. It's grains that weren't really cooked and transformed. It means what takes grain it turns from hadama to... Okay, we're getting too technical here. And then there was this unanswerable question: What to do if you have, if you have a f- two fruits and one vegetable? Okay, so you have three food items. Now I, I mentioned that there's the idea of precedence of the food that you like more. However, there's also seven fruits that are mentioned as being characteristic to Israel. Right? The shiva tamini, the seven special species of uh, of the land of Israel. Now, when you have th- a, a fruit and a vegetable, okay, you make the blessing on the, f- on the, f- the food that you have precedence for. So you have the apple, and you got the pepper, which one you like more, you make the blessing on. If you have two fruits, you make the blessing on the one that is part of those seven categories before. So if you have the apple and the pomegranate, because pomegranate is one, and they're both fruits, both grown trees, because the pomegranate is one, of the, is one of the seven species of the land of Israel, that takes precedence even if you like the apple more. So let's say you have three items. Listen to this question. You have, uh, you have a, a, a pepper, you have a apple, and you have a pomegranate. You want to eat all three. The food that you like the most is the apple. The food that you like the second most is the pepper, and the food that you like least is the pomegranate. What blessing do you make first? Yes, but you prefer the pepper over the pomegranate. So therefore, if it was just those two, you go with the pepper. Problem is, you have a third item. So it means it's like a circle here. The, you know, it's a good question. It's one of those, one of those, uh, it's one of those, you go ahead. What happens if you think you're saying the right prayer? Yeah, so that's why we try to learn the prayers as well as we can. Um, if someone has this, uh, uh, if someone is presented with uh, a esoteric uh, rare fruit, is it fruit, is it grown in bush? A bush is considered a vegetable. So strawberries are, are, are hadama, even though we think of them as fruits. Yes, That's right. That's right. So if if you are encounter you encounter some sort of fruit or vegetable, you have no idea. Is this from a tree? Is it from a bush? Is it from the ground? You have no idea. 
what you would do is make hadama because even which means from the ground because even trees grow from the ground. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't even know what that is. There you go. Point proven. Yeah, and there's, 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 there, there is a lot of questions of what to do when you have a doubt, and there's so many different kinds of, of uh, what do you do a pancake? How much time you spend on pancakes? I don't even eat pancakes. Uh, oh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Go ahead. Well, it's it's because it's one of the seven species that uh, that are that were especially uh, um, um, wonderful in in Israel, and therefore, and the verse is a special verse that says that the land of Israel is a land of wheat and barley and figs and and dates uh, and um, and grapes and pomegranates. Uh, And olives; those are the seven, because the verse assigned primacy to these seven species. Therefore, they they would take, uh, they would, you know we would go first with the blessings on those, in respect to a other a, a food item in the same category. So, for example, you have if you have two, um, if you have let's say uh, a cake which is made out of wheat, uh, and you have rice. Which is also a grain, but not one of those set one of those grains. The both of them have the same blessing. We made the blessing on the item that is part of the seven species before the item that's not part of the seven species, which is the rice. So olive oil is interesting because we don't olive oil is not really a drink. It's not. It's a well blessing made of salt. It's not really a. So if you eat it, maybe make a shahakol. It'll probably be a shahakol, the last category, because it's 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 transformed. A lot is discussed about that. How do you transform a, a food item to something else, thus changing its blessing, right? If you eat a grape, what blessing do you make? It's a fruit. You squeeze the grape, you have wine, it's a different blessing. So this idea of a process transforming a blessing. Yeah, because Bear is referring specifically to, uh, to, grape, to, to, uh, to grape juice and, uh, and wine. Because that is a process that changes it. And that's why it, the, the sources talks so about... is the vine considered from the ground, or is that cons- like the grape? Is that, a, is that from a tree? Well, I, obviously, that's true, that's true. But the reason why the grape has its own blessing in the form of Borpergafen is because it's, the only, it's one of the only foods that can be totally transformed via a certain process. So you look at wine and you look at a grape, they're entirely different things. It's grape oil, too. Okay, so that, so, so that would probably be shahakol. Is it, is it safe to, if you're not sure, just to say shahakol? Yeah, but, but it's, it's also dangerous to say that because that would say, hey, uh, you don't need to know, just make shahakol and everything. But that's the danger. I found online yesterday, I was looking for it online, there was an entire website dedicated to like answering all the questions, like, Bran flakes. What blessing is that? Eh? Yeah. So, this, yeah. So we can maybe do it, like uh, you know, or the, but go online. You can search. Like there's like these enormous lists, like alphabetical order, like what to do. You know, every, you know, uh, every but most foods you could are self-explanatory. They fit in one of these categories. You have these uh, Hollywood, these exotic fruits uh, or foods that that are questioned, like Pringles. What blessing do you make on Pringles? So it's potato chips, right? Huh? I was going to say, when it 
Mashed potatoes. potatoes. Well, well, okay, but if you, but if you look at the at the first ingredient, so the ingredient that it has the most of. MSG. No, it's 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 potatoes. It's potatoes. However, if you look at the actual Pringle, you can still look at it, right? Okay. That, the way they do it is they take the potatoes, they crush them into a paste, and they recreate them into that perfect shape. So that's not a potato that was cut up. That's processed. That's why that would be shahakral, even though it's made out of, out of, out of, out of um, it's made out of potatoes that would lower its, that would lose its blessing of hadama because it's changed. As opposed to potato chips, if you just take potatoes, cut them, and, and put tons of salt and MSG, whatever you want on it, right? That's still a potato that was just cut up. It's still a, it's still a biha adama. Either way, let's go through a little bit the, 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 the wording of the, of, of, of the blessings that's shared with, every, with, with all of them. Let's start with the first six words that are uniform to all blessings. Not only blessings on food, but the blessings on everything that we say, blessings on mitzvahs. And we start with the word baruch. What does the word baruch mean? Bless. Now, God, does God need our blessing? No. Of course not. So we're not blessing God. What we're doing is it's a statement of fact. Right, so we say that God is blessed. God is the source of blessing. Just like we say God is kind. We're not, we're, not, we're not trying to give blessing to God. Humans can't bless God. We can't change God's status. That is Jewish theology 101. We can't do that. However, what this is saying is that we're saying that God is the source of all blessing, uh, and, and it's a statement of fact. Number two, atah, you. Remember, we as Jews... And as humans are able to talk to God like we talk to our fellow, right? We are addressing God face to face. Just think about that. You know, I once did a, did the math. Um, if you count all the words in the Amidah, there's one word that we say more than any other word. We say it in fact 34 times in the Amidah, and that is the word Ata, you. Right? We're talking to God, and we're calling Him you. Isn't that, th- think about that. You know, if we were talking, obviously, lahavda, as they say, you know, to, 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 to make a, a, a distinction between the holy and the profane. But if we were talking to a judge or a president or a pope, what would we say? We would say, your honor, your excellence, right? Uh, right? You would say, your holiness. That's what we would say, Right? I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I'm, we talk to the Pope like that, right? Your Holiness, right? I don't know. Whatever. But we, you know, we, we talk to God. And we say you. Think about that. What does it mean as a Jew to have a relationship with God? We talk to Him like a child talks to a parent. You do this, right? Blessed are you. Think about that. Yeah, that's right. But 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 it's astonishing when you actually think about. What that uh, of of the insight and just the meaning behind that idea? We are able to talk to God, Creator of heaven and earth and all the cosmos, and each and every one of us and everything that we see and encounter. We talk to Him directly, hundreds of times a day. How wonderful is that? And then we say, God, we say Hashem Elokeinu. So this is uh, we mentioned this a few times. Uh, the when we talk about God. Uh, in the Torah, 
we have different names for God, which a lot of people went uh, the wrong way uh, uh, in assuming that we're talk- refer- referring to multiple entities. Obviously, multiple entities are anathema to Judaism. What we're referring to is multiple uh, ideas, multiple definitions of God. And when we say the, uh, the tetragram, which is the name of God that, start, the, that, 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 is, that has the four letters, which is the, referred to in, 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 the, in the word Hashem, right, that is referring to God existing outside of time and space. Was, is, and will be. You know, that's essentially almost God himself, essentially. Uh, now, the way we pronounce it with, 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 uh, with the, the word that sounds like Adon, Adon means master of everything. Right? Uh, that's what we think about. God's the master. Elokeinu, the word Elohim or Elohim. What does the word Elohim mean? It also means God, right? But if you look in the Torah, we, we, or Elohim means power. Right? For example, uh, the court, the Jewish court is called Elohim. That's not obviously God. It means a court. It means power. Because there's, whenever there's power, the word Elohim is an appropriate word. God tells Moshe, I will make you an Elohim to Pharaoh. doesn't mean I'll make you a deity. It means I'll make you a master. The word Elohim, when we say Elohim, we're referring to God. It could also be referring to God, and therefore we don't say it uh, the way we would say referring to a uh, uh, to a you know to a finite power. But here we're referring to we say Elohim because God has all the powers. By the way, you know God's one. Yet Elo, the word Elohim means powers. The answer is we're not referring to God Himself. We're referring to God's powers, total dominion over all. These two names put together is the complete name of God. God essentially, the one who was, is the master of all, right, was, is, will be, not bound by the constraints that we have, that has all the powers. And lastly, we say king of the world. Now, what does that mean? God's king of the world. Which world? Surely this world and all the worlds, right? Yeah. Well, the world is singular. It doesn't say king of the world. Okay, but, uh, oh, maybe, okay, but... Uh, the universe is the one universe is a mo- right whichever world we're in we're saying the world just thinking back to what we said earlier that this is an activity of tikkun olam what are we saying in every blessing we're saying god is the master of the world we're saying that this entire world that we have there's one master and that's god that is an act of tikkun olam fits in the world and then we say bore, God creates the, the word bore prayer gavamur mean bizonos bore prayates. That is also a testament to God's total dominion and power over all. So essentially, like the the food is an afterthought almost. the The blessing is like we're talking about God and we're bringing God into the world. It's an act of tikkun olam. So to go back to where we started from. If you were to ask the question, what does God want from us? Indeed, a very appropriate response is 100 blessings. Because if we do the 100 blessings as we describe them, with the, with, you know, with the proper understanding and you know, with the proper concentration, like Bernie said, uh, if we do it properly, 
we'll have everything. We'll have a fantastically uh, delightful and joyous physical life because we'll notice and we'll take pleasure in everything that we encounter. And we'll have God in every area of our lives. We'll take, we'll take, we'll, we'll notice it, you know, and we'll, we'll have to grow up, you know, and to think of, of how a, a, a physical experience could bring to grow up, like that's mind boggling. And that's the convergence of the physical and the spiritual. And indeed, God doesn't need a blessing. It's not, it's not for God. God doesn't need it. It's for us. And how can we realistically say 100? Well, we can because it's everywhere. It's in our prayers. It's in our experiences. It's everywhere we look. We find blessings. It's in our mitzvahs as well. Uh, and you know what? Maybe this is all. This is what God really wants from us because this could bring us to every destination that God wants from uh, God wants from us. And indeed, as we said earlier, just go quickly what uh, what we uh, what we said. This will tra- transform our spiritual life. You want to achieve faith? How do you get faith? Blessings. What do you get faith? How do you get happiness? Blessings will give you happiness. How are you going to notice even the small things via blessings? How are you going to elevate the physical to make it spiritual? Make make blessings. Uh, and you know what? Uh, there's a serious component to it as well. It's all God's until we make the blessing. We acquire it via the blessings. It's God's world until we buy it. We acquire it. It uh, There's a transaction here via the blessing. We live in this expensive hotel, and how do we buy things? How do we pay for things? Well, there's one way to do it collectively, and that is to say, hey, I'm going to be someone who entirely, in my entire mission in this world is to bring God into the world. I'm then the ambassador. I can eat whatever I want. Does that mean I don't make a blessing? Well, no, because... You say, hey, you don't need to make a blessing if you're the ambassador. Well, if if you're not making the blessing, you're not you're you're not doing your job. You're gonna get fired. <laughs> You'll get replaced. But even on a small individual item that I want to buy, I want to I want to indulge in. I make the blessing. It's mine. So what's the blessing for chocolate? Shachol Yamdvaro. Shachol, the last one. Everything else. Everything. Okay. Right. Milk also. Milk. Yeah. Every every drink. Every drink that's all drinks that are not. All drinks that are not um, grape juice or wine. So even if you take, let's say, to, uh, tomatoes, I mean, to, to tomato juice, that would be shocking. Because remember, you're changing, you're, you're 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 transforming, you're processing it from being a fruit or a vegetable into being a, a, a drink, and that would change. Orange juices, even though it comes from oranges, you just squeeze the orange. Like Tropicana says, you stick the uh, straw into an orange. Right, but but no, it, it's not it's not a fruit. It's now a drink. Then it's shahakal. And not only that, if you, someone eats and they do not make a blessing, they're stealing from God and they're stealing from Israel. Because you know what, the blessing is an opportunity, or, or the opportunity for blessing is an opportunity for bringing goodness into the world. And if you're not bringing goodness, you're taking away from what we could have had. And the crazy, idea, go ahead. Are there blessings for like after you're done eating? Oh yeah. So I yes. So Yeah, so what happens, so there's an entire session of the law, what happens if someone forgets, well, if they're still, if they're still eating, they, they, uh, they would make the blessing on whatever they're eating henceforth, or thenceforth. Uh, if they had a middle of chewing something, they forgot the blessing. They forgot to make the blessing. So if it's something that's negligible, they would maybe take it out. But if it gets disgusting, they won't eat it again, well, then they make a blessing while the food's in their mouth. If it's something like they drink, they, they could, uh, like, make a blessing like that. Um... Uh, and if, or the, if, if it's something negligible, you have a little sip of water, you have plenty of water, you could just spit it out, make make another blessing. That question is dealt with. Um, um, 
Another after blessing as well. There's three after blessings for three different categories. What are the categories? So if you look at your six categories, there's the the, the Amazon, uh for after a bread meal, uh, after one of the seven species, you eat a certain fill of that. There's a there's a there's a uh, 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 an intermediate blessing, and after everything else, there's a, a, a very small blessing called the Borin Afashot. Maybe that'll be next time we study blessings. We'll go to the after blessings. Uh, but in this book, it has all the pre-blessings, all the after blessings, and all transliterated. I would highly advise. Huh? If this is the most ubiquitous, it's called a bencher. That has all the blessings. It's the bencher. And it has it all transliterated. The NCSY bencher. And they came up with a new edition of it. It's $2 online. Yeah, so... Yeah, so uh, there is a, a lot of people that try to make it easier. It doesn't have to be easier. Uh, we also mentioned that the reason why we need to eat is to make the blessing, not the other way around. Uh, we got a quick guide to the blessings. There are more blessings out there. There are so many different scenarios that we could possibly encounter. What happens if someone if someone's dessert is cake? Does that cover by the original bread bread blessing or not? Two dollars fifty cents. We should buy for the whole. Yeah, tell you what, put your name on a list if you want the book, and I'll order for the, the group. That way, the shipping will be cheaper. So, so I, I was thinking, I, I, I was thinking last night I should have bought the bought it for everyone, but I thought about it too late. So, go ahead. Yeah, so they're not from Adam. Um, some of them are from the Torah, are, are Torahitic. Um, like the blessing after the after the uh, after the. I'm sorry, did you say some of them did? Some of them, no, Adam? none of them with Adam. No, no. Uh, maybe Adam made blessings. Who knows? But uh, they're not part of the Noahide laws or the laws that are universal. Um, some of them are included in the Torah. Um, some of them um, came later, like times of Ezra. Um, Ezra, Ezra, he and that, he he came he finalized the 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 the, the words for all the blessings. Mm-hmm. So, Uh, no, there's no, no. We can't add new blessings anymore. It's not in our hands. We don't. We don't oh, maybe if we have a Sanhedrin, maybe that could change. Without a Sanhedrin, we certainly can't even think about doing that. Um, so I said, some of them are, are are go all the back to the times of Moses, especially the blessings after after a bread meal. Those blessings that's in the Torah, it's in, it's, that's in Deuteronomy. Um, but uh, the pre blessings, even though. The themes are not new, but the actual words were canonized by Ezra and, and the men of the Great Assembly. Okay. That would be shahakal. That would be shahakal. It's fish. It's fish, yeah. Um, but it also has grain in it. Oh, so how much grain in it? How much grain in it? It's a good question. Um, if most times people eat gefilte fish, like I've never in my life eaten gefilte fish, don't plan on it. No fish for me. You don't eat fish. No either. matter what you, I, I, I don't eat any fish. So I don't even eat like chicken if it was shaped as a fish. I wouldn't eat it. Are you a vegan? No, but um, no fish for me. Yeah, steak's fine. Chicken's fine. Beef's fine. Fowl is fine. Uh, just no fish for me. Everyone has their things, right? Huh? Edge will be in the number six exactly. Edge will be on the number six. I'm sorry. 
Oh yeah, that would be that would be under that. Yeah. Remember, if it's not bread, if it's not wine, if it's not grain-based foods, if it's not fruits and vegetables, it's under shahakol. Everything else. Um, so what if someone has? What if someone has? You have no idea time we spent on this. If someone has, let's say, for dessert, cake. Normally, for dessert, you wouldn't make a blessing in the middle of a meal, but for you would make a blessing, but not for cake. Why? Because if you notice here, I wrote under number three. You see number three? Uh, I gave three rules here. Sweet, filled, or brittle. What that means is, is that what really changes bread from cake? What's the difference between bread, bread and cake? What's the difference? Both of them are made of flour and water, right? One has leavening in it and one does not. Both of them have leavening in it. Cake's leavening. Huh? It's sugar. That's right. It's sweet. That's the only difference. When you put sweetness into bread, it downgrades it from bread, full-fledged bread, to number three. Or if you take bread and you fill it with something, so if you have, let's say, bread and inside the bread is, I don't know, chocolate or pizza rolls or whatever, then, uh, then it would be downgraded. So sweet rolls, by the way, there's this entire industry called Mizonos rolls. Mizonos, which is number three, or Mizonote, depends how you pronounce it, those rolls. If you want to have, let's say, a sandwich, you don't want to make them hot. Yeah, so they, they specifically make them sweet so that we won't need to make the long blessing and the long after blessing. But how sweet do they need to be? Ah, a lot of fun. Right, so it actually depends. The, the Sephardic custom is to not add any sweetness. So egg challahs are ubiquitous in the Ashkenazic world. In the Sephardic world, a lot of egg challahs, they won't make hamotzi in it. Because it, once it has too many non-flour water ingredients, you're kind of diluting it from being a bread. It's very close to being other grain-based products that are not bread. Either way, guys, lots of fun. And we'll much. see you next week. Thank you. The topic Appreciate is... It. We'll see what the topic is. It's going to be fantastic. Whatever it is. Okay, and, uh, and if, if, if I don't have your name... You don't have a name tag. Give Dan, yeah, Dan your name and yes. we'll... Uh... You don't have a name tag. Yeah.